Context Podcast is proudly sponsored by Delta Wines and Brick and Mortar, our everyday go-to with sustainability built in. Delta Wines are vibrant yet balanced, made to be enjoyed on special occasions. Brick and Mortar was founded in 2011 and has worked to create the European Wine Drinkers California Wine. The wines are small lot, single vineyard sourced from Napa, Sonoma County, and Mendocino Ridge. In addition to tasting good, they also help you feel good with an eco-friendly packaging and environmental nonprofit donations with every purchase. Buy online at winesforchange.com. Also, use the code CONTACTS to support us and get a discount. The presentation is beautiful. The wines are great. You'll be supporting Saving the Earth. What more do you need? Again, that's online at winesforchange.com. Discount code CONTACTS at checkout. Drink Element is a healthy alternative to sugary electrolyte drinks. Each grab-and-go stick pack replaces essential electrolytes with no sugar, no coloring, no artificial ingredients, or any other junk. Element is thrilled to be releasing a new limited-time flavor this November, Element Milk Chocolate. I drink Element every day to support my workouts and being on the court and in the classroom. As a member of our community, Element has a special offer for you. Claim your free Element sample pack. You only cover the cost of shipping. Get yours today at drinkelement, that's L-M-N-T, dot com slash contacts. Elroy's Fine Foods, the uncommon market. A revival of the community market, promising you an uncommon shopping experience and the finest of groceries and prepared foods. When Chloe and I first envisioned what Elroy's Fine Foods would become, we wanted to build a market that was focused on building community. A beautiful store that not only sells incredible foods, but also prioritizes environmental and social responsibility, and provides the community with a safe space to shop, eat, and hang out. Elroy's Fine Foods is located in Monterey, California, offering the most delicious prepared foods, curated groceries, certified organic produce, a full-service bulk food section, fine cheeses, natural wines, local beers, and humanely raised meats and sustainably caught seafood. Elroy's Fine Foods, the uncommon market. 15 Soledad Drive, Monterey, California. Hello, and welcome to Contacts, a podcast dedicated to bringing you practical ideas from coaches sharing what they have learned throughout their career. I want to open the door into my network of contacts with innovative, reflective, and diverse coaching knowledge may offer ideas to enhance your experience. I'm your host, Justin Klein. Welcome back to Contacts. We have a special episode today that is going to be a little bit different than the traditional format as we are joined by NFL quarterback David Fales, former athlete at Palma in Salinas, who I was fortunate enough to coach while he was in high school. David, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, Justin, thanks for having me on. Glad to be here. All right, let's just dive into this hybrid format we're going to do today. So. Can you talk about your background as an athlete and what that journey looked like in a kind of snapshot form, but ultimately what you feel sports in general and athletics was able to form in you that allowed you to pursue your lifelong dream of playing in the NFL? Yeah, and that's something I never really thought about, I think, until this year, because sports has been my life since... I can remember. I mean, I skateboarded when I was little. And then as soon as like I was old enough to play a team sport, basketball, I think was the first thing I played because they didn't have football at that time when I started. I've been in sports since then. So it's been who I am in my life since this last year. I started playing football probably when I was in sixth grade flag football. I tried out for the Pop Warner team and I actually got cut. Yeah, I didn't want to hit anybody. And I still don't want to hit anybody, but (laughs) that, that, that hasn't changed. I just figured it out. And then 
ended up playing seventh, eighth grade, played quarterback in eighth grade. And I was going to play running back, like outside linebacker, but they didn't have a quarterback. And I was like looking around, I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to make it as a linebacker or a running back right now. I just went through a growth spurt. So um, I was like, I'll try it out. And I, and I wasn't that good, but I made it started and then really started getting serious my freshman year in high school. I got a coach that I work with still like a mentor of mine and wasn't, still wasn't very good freshman year, got better sophomore year, came around junior year and then senior year. It was definitely looked like I, I could play the part and, and ended up taking a scholarship to Nevada, Reno. Shouldn't have taken that one, but it was my first offer and, and just me and my mom. Um, we were super excited just because that was the goal. And it was such a distance goal, such a far out goal. Didn't think it was going to happen. And all of a sudden, my coach all offers us and we're like, did he really offer us? Did he not? It was, it was a weird way of how he presented it. And so my, my mom's on to commit and I'm like, yeah, let's see if it's real. Okay. So I call him like probably six hours after I leave the campus and, and commit, which I definitely shouldn't have. Cause that was when Kaepernick was there and they were doing the zone read and he was running a bunch and I, that's not me never was but it, before Kaepernick it was Jeff Rowe I think and he was more of a prototype like passer pocket passer guy so thought that I could get back into that role with them and then I was there for a fall left with the JC for two years San Jose for two and then after my time at San Jose I got drafted to the Bears for in the sixth round in 2014 and then was there for three years Miami for two Jets for a year and a half and got cut in 2020 but it's who I've been sports like Back to the question, what has sports been in my life? I'm realizing now that it's out of my life, how big of a part it's played and just the routine, the structure, the camaraderie, the coaches in my life. That's what I've realized too. Like I was so fortunate in all my periods from, from Pop Warner to high school to JC, I always had a really good coach at all levels. And I was, I've been lucky that way because I, I could definitely see where you get a few bad coaches along those paths, your career ends and your love for the game or the sport probably changes. So that it's been huge in so many ways. All right, let's pull it that thread. Traditionally, I'm asking coaches who are on the other side of this thing is, hey, what did you not realize when you took over as the head coach or as you got into coaching in general that you needed to learn? And based on what you just said, I've been lucky that I've had a lot of really good coaches because if you get a couple of bad ones, things can go sideways really quickly. So what I'm curious about, and I know we haven't prepped for this, but what would you say are the characteristics of good coaches versus some experience maybe you've had with some that aren't so good? And what would those characteristics look like without necessarily throwing anybody under the bus? But yeah, if you were to design from an athlete's perspective, hey, coaches out there listening, this is what's important. This stuff doesn't matter. And this is actually really negative. Yeah, I think fortunate for me, I, there's no one I really, I'm like, who can I throw under the bus? I don't know if I have one of those guys because I, I, again, like I said, I've had some really good coaches and like the number one thing is they were all really smart. They like knew the game. They were able to teach me something in, in different ways. That's one thing. I, I had a lot of experience at all levels and they were able to offer me something there. And then the next thing was like the communication. I think how they were able to adjust and communicate with me was huge. And there was different communication styles, but you could tell, like, I would have first not agree with a few coaches. And over time, if you just learn to buy in and, and understand their communication style, I think it helped me a lot. And just the people that maybe I necessarily didn't align with at first coming to the foundation of, Hey, we both want to win. This coach wants to win. I want to win. We're on the same page and taking that approach, like in any disagreement we have, is huge. And I've been coaches on both sides, like willing to meet me in the middle. If there was ever a disagreement, which I, I'm, I'm trying to think there really wasn't any, but definitely bump some heads and communication styles, but I've been fortunate just coaches been able to work with me and communicate. So I would say communication, obviously being an expert in your field. I'm not sure outside of that, those two things are like huge for me because I, I, I don't know if there's anything else. Well, let's talk about that thing you said initially there, which is like sometimes we didn't align and we ultimately got there. What would you say in your experience as a high school athlete, a college athlete, and a pro athlete, what is the value of dissenting opinion and the importance for coaches to be willing to hear the athlete side of things so that they can come into alignment? Yeah, that's huge. And there's one person I think of, and he's my guy, and I don't think he would mind me saying this. But it was Jimmy Doherty. He's one of the, 
like my top three that I have the most respect for because he's like an ultimate West Coast guy. I was with Coach Harbaugh at San Diego. My senior year at San Jose, we just came off our 2012 year where we had like the best year San Jose's had in a while. I had Coach Brian Lindgren, another coach that's in, in my top five there that like his communications, I always a little bit more low burn, super smart. I don't know if I ever heard him yell. I never raise his voice. And that's how I am too. I can get pretty fired up, but I'm, I'm not a rah-rah screaming guy. And neither was he. So it was good for me because good or bad, I knew he was always going to be the same. Um, and that was perfect for me. But Coach, Coach Doherty's got some juice. And he came in the next year and, and is trying to set the tone and, and bring in his offense and, and was like just yelling rah-rah. It was weird. I realized, okay, like he's yelling when it's good. He's yelling when it's bad. But I'm not sure what who he's pissed at, you know, like did we just mess up. I'm like every time I'm looking, but he's just like juiced and excited, which is good. But I we're like trying to figure out this offense and learn it. And I'm like, okay, is this is how it's supposed to go? Because it was just a little bit different than what we had been doing before. And I remember I talked to Coach Kerrigan, I talked to him, and I was like, hey, I, we need to adjust a little bit here on the communication style and just in our offense in general. And Coach Doherty, like I, I I told him not too long ago, I'm like, such respect for what he did because the longer you're in you realize like it's hard for coaches to change like they get stuck in their ways and they do what they know and they just do it because they've had some success at a certain level and that's just what they're going to do but to be able to change what you do change the language change your coaching style to adjust to an entire player um a player's style that's tough to do and he did it he changed his language changed the way he coached went no huddle changed everything like he, he did it all in, in terms of conforming to his players and how what was best for the team and I don't know a lot of coaches that would do that have you seen it go the other direction where as an athlete or even as an objective observer especially in your professional career where often you weren't handed the keys, right? You were fighting and scrapping to make a roster and to stay on a roster where you could have an objective perspective of how things were operating. Even in hindsight now where the my way or the highway type approach got in the way of mutually finding success for the program. For me, my, my role, obviously, as soon as I got in the NFL, I was a backup. So it, it changes. So like, it's not my way or the highway anymore. And you're doing what either the starter wants or the OC or the head coach wants, whoever's calling plays. And I think it is tough in the NFL. And I, I'm like, where egos get involved, money gets involved. And you're supposed to, like, you start getting some titles attached to your name and, and stuff. So you're supposed to be something and you want to just stick to who you are. And it's hard to evaluate I guess when you're at that such a high level to say oh do I have it figured out I need to adjust my play calling or what I've done to this extent because what you've done to this point has gotten you to the league but it's different up there and you still have to evaluate and adjust because the game's changing all the time these are like the smartest people playing this game and they're everyone's watching tape every year and everyone's coming with something new so it naturally happens you'll see like over time, things just change and theme, new themes pop up. You also see some coaches will just do the same thing no matter what. And like defensive coordinators are going to do the same thing on third down at this time, like all the time. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. I don't, I, I don't know. It definitely, I would say it hurts over time. But yeah, I don't know if I have a specific example for you. No, that's fine. What, what, what I guess I took out of that was uh, part of our conversation the other day where and you just mentioned it right now, which these are the smartest people. These are the best at their profession. That's what has allowed them to get to that point. And from a coaching standpoint, as I am tasked, part of the job is evaluating talent, right? Every year, every day, every practice, every game, and trying to put the best talent in the team in the best situation to be successful. So out of curiosity, how would you describe for potential athletes here are the qualities that as the funnel decreases and you get to the top of the pyramid, right? The tip of the spear here. What are the qualities that those athletes have that separate them? And let's just discount the fact that some of them are just otherworldly human beings. Physically. Yeah. Let's focus was, on the controllables. What would you say those are? Yeah, I was going to say there, there's like the outliers where like they, no matter what, they were going to get there because they're freaks. They're going to run a four or five, just getting out of bed and weigh 270. So those, yeah, discount those guys. I mean, I think of me, I am that guy that if you just look at me, nobody knows. You would not think I played in the NFL, that I'm some, that I was, had some success in, in division one and, and in the NFL. And it shows up a, a lot for, for guys in the league, I would say just having a routine structure guys, again, like me, they've had good coaches along the way, 
um, and they've grinded at every level they've had success. And that when you're around some of the legends, I think of like Frank Gore, like Frank Gore, I had got to be around with Miami and the Jets and, and this guy is a legend and you look at him and he's not like some freak. He's not a huge guy, not big, not super fast, but the guy outworks everyone. And that's a common theme versus like all the, the really good players. You think, oh, this guy's a freak, but then you're actually on a team with him and you're like, okay, this guy, he works, <laughs> you know, like he's outworking everyone here. And that is definitely common amongst like the elite players. And Frank Gore is like a perfect example. He'd be in there Monday after a game doing cardio. He'd be in there Tuesday doing his cardio and getting his extra film. And, and, and he's in the facility all day. They would start giving him days off, but he'd still want to practice every day pad, with the pads. Like the, when you're around these guys, okay, makes sense. He's not, it's just not a show up and play kind of thing. And, it, and there are guys like that. And I don't know if they last that long because eventually you're going to get hurt. And then if you don't have the, the discipline and the structure behind that to bounce back, like you just like fall off. And, and then you see that too with some guys who get like a serious injury. But I think of Frank Gore and I'm like, yep, there, there's a reason he's done what he's done for so long. Now, in addition to the players noticing that, obviously the coaches are going to be aware of that. And I would imagine those guys are going to get more opportunities than the guys that aren't workers. How would you frame having gone through your whole career and played various roles, this idea that, Coaches have favorites and people thinking, yeah, oh, they shouldn't have favorites. And it's, no, we have favorites. And it's everybody's opportunity to become a favorite because it doesn't always have anything to do with how successful you are. How would you yeah. describe that both for the coach's point of view? Here's what it feels like to be a player. And then for the players who are maybe trying to figure out how to become one of those guys, how would you describe those two avenues? Yeah, I don't know. I think like, why would they not have favorites? I guess I have a perspective where I've, I was the favorite most of my career, not so much in the NFL. And that gets a little bit weird in the NFL because there's multiple hats in the ring on certain guys. So, but it, it all comes down to if you perform, it doesn't matter who's the favorite. Like someone's going to like you if you just show up and play. And that's what I realized. Like you don't need to try to kiss us or be someone's favorite. If you go out and ball out and take care of what's necessary, it's, it's going to be good. And like, why would they not have favorites? Like their life, their family is depending on who they pick and who shows up and performs. That's all they want. If you show up and perform, they're not going to pick some guy because he's their favorite and they just like hanging out with them. When you get to the college and NFL level, it's you, the person they pick, is, it's their family's riding on it because it's they could get fired or they can get a promotion. I think I got over the favorites thing pretty quick. I understood in the NFL, like the money and the contract, but, and that's just business. That's just how it happens. But if you still go out and handle your business, like it's going to work out whether it's with this team or the next. So you got to not play into that and they like you, it's going to be good. It's all about like your brand and stuff. So just, I don't know. I never really thought about it too much. And I, I would just be like, it makes sense. They have a favorite, like probably because he's balling out and he's showing up and doing the right things every day. Like, why would he not be a favorite? How are you going to be neutral? I don't know if I really thought into it too much. It just makes sense to me. And obviously, as a coach, it makes sense to me as well. And often my air quote favorites are guys that don't even see the court, but they are the guys that show up every day and do the work, hold people accountable. Yeah, are great examples for their teammates, aren't concerned with playing time and they do the little things. And so I think ultimately, like those things, like you said, if you show up, do your work ball out, things are going to work out at some point in whatever way they are supposed to. Here's an interesting pivot. On that note, because <clears throat> you said, if not this team, then maybe the next team. So when I say things are going to work out the way that they're supposed to, what does that look like in practice? So you went to Reno, then you transferred, came back home, went to junior college here, and then ended up at San Jose State where you had a great career. Talk about your comment, maybe not with this team, but with the next and how that actually played out in real life for you. Yeah, that was tough, that transition from UNR to NPC, because it was my only Division One offer, was Division One ball, wanted to be there. To leave that and then go to JC was tough, and that was a big transition period for me, because I went to JC, and I kind of, you kind of walked around, oh, like, I'm, I'm Division One, I'm, I'm just coming here to ball out and bounce back, and it was definitely a humbling experience for me. And coach, and again, I was lucky to go with Coach Raz because Coach Raz doesn't pick favorites. Like it didn't matter. 
what I was guaranteed was an opportunity to compete, not a, a starting position, which was like huge for me because I definitely got caught up in, in like who's the favorite thing, like worried about who's getting reps, who's getting what, because I was splitting with Dan Connors who had played the year before and he was from PG, really good player, had played well the year before. And then he's like, this D1 guy's coming back. He doesn't want me to take his job. And we were splitting the first five games. And that was like a humbling experience for me. Cause I'm like, man, I just left the D1 scholarship. I'm rotating. I might be stuck here. And it made me really reevaluate how I got better and how I got to this period and just focus on what I can control. And I remember thinking I, I, I just that year got into visualizing and read this book, uh, Mind Gym, got into that year and just focusing on how I can get better that way with the visualization techniques, going to practice every day. Just like, I'm going to work on one thing. I don't care about anything else. I'm going to work on this drop or this throw and being very conscious of just focusing on that, not caring about whoever else is making throws or anything or who's doing better. So it was a good experience for me. I'm not sure what your question was and how I got into this. That period from UNR to NBC was huge for me. Well, the question was really when you said, if it doesn't work out here, it's going to work out at the next stop yeah. as long as you do the work. And so there's the NPC transition. But what about at San Jose State and what allowed you to continue that upward trajectory? Because you could have just thrown yeah. in the towel when you were splitting reps. Forget it, I'm done. Yeah. And and again, I've been, I had good coaches around me. I had a mentor. I saw that quarterback coach that I had in freshman year of high school that was working with me and he was keeping, helped me keep perspective on the bigger thing here and just, and, and working through it. But it, it was tough. So then I ended up getting a starting job at the end of that year, the second half and, and did well, didn't have any offers after that. And I was like, okay, I'm going back to NPC, which I, I was fine with because for whatever reason, I was fine. The plan was to bounce back, but I was, I had fun and, and was playing and wanted to get experience. But then I actually went to Wyoming that summer. They had made call me. My dad was an hour away from Wyoming. We went, to, so I was visiting my dad one summer and, and reached out to them. And I went to a spring game and they said they'd offer me a walk-on spot. And I was like, no, I'm not doing that. They call like a month later and say, if you take a class for the summer, we'll forward a scholarship as soon as camp starts. Okay, that's division one, I'll do it. Went out there for, for a month and I realized I wasn't gonna play. Again, they wanted me to back up this true freshman. So bounced back to MPC and played well. And then again, didn't have any, any scholarships. And I don't know why, like looking back, I wasn't really freaking out. I was definitely down, but I wasn't like panicking too much. I had Indiana State, which it, it, at the time, I don't know what they look like now, but at the time they weren't very good at football and they're going through a different transition. But then San Jose State last minute offers me the day after Christmas. I mean, I signed as soon as they offered me. And I was pumped. Didn't didn't really know too, didn't follow them too much before that, but they, they coached Mac was having a, they were going in that way. I think they were like five and seven or, or five and six. And then when I got there, I was like, I didn't even think about, I had taken the same mindset when I bounced back from Nevada to NBC. Like I wasn't worried about who was playing, didn't care about what any of the other guys were doing. If I was even a star, I remember showing up to camp, like I'm just happy to be here. Like, it doesn't matter. I, I, I take the mindset, like I'm here. If I'm starting or not, I'm just going to have fun and take it a day at a time, get better at something every day, just focus on one period at a time and ended up getting it. They didn't name me the starter till the week of Stanford, like the week of, I was rotating with the threes, probably the week before, like we were going threes, twos, one every day. And I remember it was like the Monday before the Saturday game that they named me the starter. And I think it's probably still like to be determined depending on how I did that week. I mean, that was a good game. So yeah. Okay, let's take that piece. So uncertainty and always having to be on your toes, can't rest on your laurels in anything, which has obviously followed you throughout your career and allowed you to have an extended career and be a vet, so to speak. If I asked you to think about the ways in which you have consolidated information, coaching approaches, styles, et cetera, and said, all right, here, I'm gonna give you the keys to the program and you need to bring with you X, Y, and Z from all of your different stops, all of your different mentors. What would you offer in the ways in which, yes, I'm bringing this from Coach X because this is the impact that it has. Could you give us three or four specifics that have stuck with you that you will definitely use when you begin coaching? And you mean coaching styles, different techniques? Um, or Anything like as you schemes. interpret the question. 
This yeah. coach had this impact on me. I'm definitely doing this authentic to myself, but I yeah. remember it specifically. And here's why. Yeah, that's tough. That's tough. Cause I think I never really thought about it until this year, like how much I appreciated certain coaches and I'm mm -hmm. still like going through that. Like I would definitely be very conscious of how I'm communicating with all my players and being consistent on the message and like carrying the flag because being in it, you could tell when like, the the head coach or the guy in the room is really carrying the flag and that there's that trust there so i'd be very conscious of, of that in my relationship with my players and i again i don't know if i have one coach that would do that i'd, I'd be very conscious of my assistant coaches as well because they're an extension of me and that's a tough question for me right now because i don't know if i would necessarily take things i would just take those coaches i'm like yep you're good you're good perfect let's push back on that then which yeah. coaches and they don't have yeah. to be named. They can be yeah. this coach yeah. in your head, but this is why. Yeah, there's one coach I, I was around, and, and I'm fine if I can shout him out. He's a man. Dow Loggins, he's, he, he was, I was with him in the league. He was my quarterback coach, OC, and just a smart guy. Like, can recall so many plays. He's been around so many good players, good coaches. Like, I, somebody like him with experience and has played the position. I'd have him um, just because, yeah, he's smart, knows the ball, knows he's got answers for everything. He's been around so many different people. Someone like, again, like Coach Doherty that I had in San Jose with the experience. He's, he's been around Coach Harbaugh. He's called plays. He's coached receivers. Um, someone like him. There's, I don't know, there's so many. And what are the exact qualities that, that I like? That's just being an expertise in the game. Like there, I know I can ask him anything. And if he doesn't know, he knows someone who does. And then being able to communicate in, in a way to relate to the players that the guys are going to, like he's going to be able to build relationships with, with all players. There's not many people who don't like him. While you're thinking, yeah. let me ask a follow-up on that first piece. Because you keep going back to this idea of expertise. But then right there, you just mentioned, if he doesn't know, he'll find the answer. What role would you say that vulnerability plays in a coach-player relationship? When I say vulnerability, I mean being able to say yeah. to you, you know what, David, I don't know, but I'm going to get you an answer. Well, it's huge, and it's hard in the NFL because you're supposed to know. Like, you're the best of the best, and but it gets weeded out, I would say, especially in the quarterback room and, and the NFL in general. Like, all these guys are smart. Most guys know. Like, so if you're – lying or bullshitting like it's gonna be like okay he doesn't know or he's making this up or has no clue so it gets weeded out pretty quickly and and then for a coach to be like i don't know let me go find out that's that's those are good coaches fortunately for me i i was around a lot of guys like that um that were able to outsource or had a network where they could go get the answers or we just had enough good coaches that had been able to piece it together, whatever the issue was, but it's huge. If you don't know and you're going to try to act like you know or, or tell a guy to do something that you've never done and aren't aware that you've never done because that gets weird too in the NFL. Like these guys, a lot of the coaches that are coaching have never done what they're asking someone to do and to be vulnerable enough and say like, I know, like at some point to be like, I know I've never done this or, but some have, but yeah, that's huge too, to have that vulnerability and understand like that there's levels to this. And, but usually good coaches, some, a lot of good coaches haven't played at that level. So it's, that's just how it is. And, and that's why they're really good coaches because they're, they're students of the game to another level. Yeah. And the takeaway, if I'm hearing you correctly, is that is a value add, all of you out there listening. It's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to tell your kids, hey, I don't know. Like, I let's go figure it out together. And that actually builds social capital rather than pretending as if you do know. Well, those guys are always getting better too, because if you think you do know it, you're never going to go in the off season and, and try to pick somebody's brain who had a really good year. If you do think, you know, you're probably not doing that. You're probably watching your own tape and figuring out what you can do better. And, and, but the guys who are vulnerable, they're hitting up the, the guy who went to the playoffs or whatever, did really well and saying, what'd you work? Let's watch all the tape. And, or they already watched all the tape and then asking them like, why'd you guys do this? So you got to be vulnerable to, to have success, long-term success. So feedback and this idea of coaching and trying to help you get better which often is going to come off as criticism but the idea of constant feedback loops and communication right you hit on expertise you hit on communication what would you say as a receiver of feedback which 
primarily you were. And then I'm sure you were a giver of feedback often as the backup, helping the, the guy that was out there playing, hey, maybe this, maybe that. What would you say are the best techniques you have discovered for ensuring that feedback loop is the most successful? Yeah, I think you have to check your ego on both sides because sometimes like I know I may be asking feedback, but I really don't want to hear what you're about. You know, like I want to hear the good feedback and then you say some shit and it's like, no, I don't agree with that. What do you mean? So being conscious of checking your ego on both sides because even as a backup, me giving input to like Cutler and time like I'm gonna tell him and I'm like hey I don't know if you could do this I'm not sure if I saw I don't know what it looked like out there but this is what I think I saw and I, I don't like and I'll obviously try to watch the tape and be like hey this, if I know I'm like this I saw this, this is what we should have got to I'll do that but there's also you got to understand there's a time and place in the middle of, of a game you got to have some awareness and maybe he like doesn't want to hear that right now or so understanding where the person is but um, definitely, I would say check in the ego on both sides and make sure you're ready to receive that feedback. And then also make sure you're coming from a place of where you're really trying to help the person and not maybe shit on them. But and then just having some awareness too. I think as a backup, I would just have to make sure if I was a starter, how would I want to hear this? Or would this help me play? Because maybe it's not going to even change anything. You're just going to make them think about something. They got so you're thinking of so many other things of just how to go out there and perform that this might not help them. So the giver of feedback just having some awareness am i really trying to help this person or am i just trying to flex what i think i know yeah so i came across this interesting concept this year in one of these episodes where one of my guests was talking about especially from a basketball perspective but i think football coaches are also guilty of this thinking they can actually manipulate the outcome of the game by yelling and screaming the whole time like it's going to change things so basketball coach we do the same thing but it was like this idea of no concurrent feedback meaning while you're trying to execute a play if I'm yelling and screaming something it's not helping it's actually making it worse what would you say in regards to that idea and people giving coaching in the middle of action versus waiting for the right time as you described it yeah I, I don't get it I'm like you're not trying to help if you stop and took a breath you're not helping no one's listening to you right now you are flexing your ego or whatever your knowledge because you think everyone can hear you and you sound smart now. I don't know. I don't relate well to that. And if a coach is yelling at them, I didn't have too many of those. And some that were like, I, I've definitely had them. And when they get that way, I understand okay, it's an emotional situation. It's like their ass is on the line too. So I'll try to not take it out of context. Like hey, we're all worked up and I'm going to try not to react and snap back. We'll talk to them in 10 minutes when we're both calmed down. So that's how I would handle it from a coach who's like that. But as like me giving feedback to a coach, I'm like, you're not really trying to help right now. Like you were really trying to help you pull the guy off to the side in 10 minutes and actually have a conversation and see what he saw. Cause he might've had a real reason why he got to this point or did have made his decision. So I want to take a major pivot here, David. And I want to think about the idea of transition. But before we do that, there was one more thing that I wanted to talk about that I just realized. And it's this idea of how people react versus respond, right? And responding, meaning you've taken a beat, you've thought about it, you've chosen what you want to do versus kind of a uh, reaction that you're not really thinking through. And the idea of failure. And as I've gotten older, and as I'm a mentor and a teacher and a coach now, this Failure is an opportunity to grow if you handle it right, where it doesn't always feel that way. And do you have an example or maybe a couple of a favorite failure that has potentially helped make you who you are today because you were able to take a step back and think about it in that way? Yeah, my whole career, I, I would say, is littered with setbacks. I, I always looked at it as like maybe a setback and not a failure because you're going to have bad games. And I don't even really remember those, but you're never going to get better unless you have bad games, right? Like you're just falling out all the time. Like it's really tough to do that. Like the people who do that are just freaks. Like what Brady's doing is, is crazy. I just was watching him play. And to win as much as he's doing is insane. But for me personally, yeah, I've had a lot of setbacks where I've had time to reflect and just sit out. Like I, in high school, I had mono. I was out for a year. Um, I mean, I'm getting going, being told I was never going to play again and going back to JC, being cut a bunch of times in the NFL that's feedback all the time and just trying to figure out how to get better 
I don't know if I've ever reacted versus responded in those situations because you don't have a choice but to just pause for a second. You can't respond in those scenarios. You definitely respond in games when someone's flying at your face and you might throw the ball and you're like, why did I do that? And then, yeah, you're going to you're gonna watch the tape and try to figure out why you did that. Like, mm-hmm. next time, just hold, take the sack. So I, I, I don't know. I, I feel like in my daily life now, I'm dealing with the react versus respond. I got a three-year-old and a one-year-old and like this transition out of football. So that's where I'm like, hey, let's take a breath. Like this, I'm working on this side of my life versus like in football, I think I it was always, I had a routine and structure on how to respond versus react. And, and the game of football, I think naturally does that for you because between each play, there's a break and you can kind of assess. And if you just had a bad series, guess what? Just go on the sideline, take a breath, watch the tape. Talk to everybody who's who's seeing something and and uh, make adjustments. And then if you have a bad game, you watch the tape. What do we do? How do we change? So it's there's always these built-in kind of this built-in structure on how to do it. If you're doing it correctly, obviously, like if you're not doing any of those things, you're not watching the tape, not trying to get better, then you're just going to keep getting worse. You just brought up the word transition. As I'm dealing with my children, I'm transitioning out of football. What does that look like currently? But more importantly, what are the things that you wish you had prepared yourself for in advance? What questions do you think having the answer to before you got to this point would have helped with this transition? And this is something I'm thinking about a lot. I've had a lot of time this year, a year and a half to reflect on like my career. I think because I'm a perfectionist, so nothing is going to be good enough for me, I'm realizing, which isn't a healthy way to be. So I, I got to take a step back and, and look at the wins sometimes, especially in this time right now. But I don't know. It is hard. I've just realized how hard it is. And all athletes definitely go through this. With this transition, there's different resources that NFL players have with NFL PA and the trust. And I'm like, okay, like guys are, all guys are going through this. And I, it's not just NFL guys, but imagine college guys, just any athlete who has been in this who grew up in sports and have taken it really serious. It's tough. Um, I don't know if there's anything. I, I definitely say, oh man, I wish I would have had a career lined up or something that I knew I wanted to do, but I don't even think that's realistic because when you're in it, that's just your world. And it's hard to step out of that. It's hard to really see that ending. Even though it's going to end, it's like it hasn't ended yet. And you're still trying to make a team this year, trying to be the best version of your or best quarterback this year. So that's your main focus. You might put your toe in the water and different things and see if you, if there's something you like um, in different industries, mm-hmm. which I wish I would have done probably a little bit more um, hindsight. And I, I did a little bit, but I wish I would have done that a little bit more. And then had conversations with guys who have transitioned um, already and pick their brain on what they've done to get ahead of it and set up like a structure and been a little bit more aware of what I was going to go through. Like, because it is weird, the routine that you're in from the whole year, from the off season to end season, to your week, to your, just your days. If we're so football players and everyone in sports in general are just so routine and, and structured that way that I would have got ahead of that a little bit faster. I feel like, like probably five months after I was like, Oh man, I need a routine. Like, I need to do things that maybe I don't necessarily like, but just need it because it's going to make my life overall better. Um, So let me stop you there and let me change the question or the narrative here. What are the things that over that five month period you have discovered are missing that you are now realizing, oh, this is important. This is important. This is important for David fails, not for everyone else, but what's missing for you that could potentially be informative for other people listening. Because all of us, at some point, our career ends. Most of us, not when we're ready for it to end. Yeah, just definitely setting, getting in the routine. Don't just freestyle it. Don't wake up and, and not have a plan for your workout, your diet. I think, I don't know if I was necessarily doing that, but I was getting into a new career with this tech sales, um, still trying to work out, um, still trying to figure out what I exactly I really liked. But as soon as I got into like a, a hardcore routine and like a structure like that kind of made everything a little bit better. I was had my diet, my workout dialed in. So for me, that was huge. Like getting a coach around that was huge. And that was something I realized too. And I'm starting to implement in just all areas of my life. Like we talked about the other day, I've had coaches my whole life. And then all of a sudden you don't have a coach in life after so putting people in place for different areas of my life, whether it's it's a trainer, whether it's like a, a therapist, whether it's a business coach, there's so many different 
things out there for for you that have been helpful for me but that was like the number one thing that I was as soon as I got like the trainer and I just stumbled into that I was like oh man I needed this like structure and and as much as I don't really like all the time eating like this and 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 I do like working out but the diet and getting up at a certain time because with the kids and work like I actually do like it and I need it dial in your routine and structure to some form whatever that is around work or your workout let me ask you a, a potentially challenging question but it's a result of listening to you talk here yeah how would you define success for you each day now that you're not showing up trying to get playing time or whatever your responsibilities yeah. were in the nfl but now you've got other things going on but what's a win for you in a day yeah and that, that's what I'm trying, you're trying to figure out now. Like I knew what I was working towards. I knew if I had a good day or a bad day with football or if I was, what direction we were going in some sense, like you got that feedback pretty quick. Mm-hmm. So now I think I'm trying to think with the end in mind in everything I do and not necessarily take each day as a win or a loss, but just moving the needle in the direction that I want to go and having that vision, like, all right. I got to the NFL that when I was a seven-year-old or whatever I was, uh, the dream was to be an NFL player. Well, that happened. And now I'm on the back end of that. And I'm like, Oh, like I didn't, the dream, there wasn't really a dream for me past the NFL, you know? So I don't want to set myself up for that again, have a dream. So I'm starting this software sales career or just sales in general. And then I'm getting into this working out thing. Like I got a dream and a, and a, and a vision of where I want to go, but being bigger to that, like trying to figure out what is my purpose? Like, what is my why? And I think having kids changes that gives you a bigger picture, gets out of myself a little bit because my dreams and goals were very selfish before. It was just all about the NFL. Now I think my wife who's been with me through the journey and has been huge and my, this transition, she's been my rock for sure. And, and it'd be a, definitely a dark place without having her kind of go through this and bringing me back. And sometimes, so she's been super helpful, but having kids give me a purpose and a why and thinking with an end in mind, I think has been huge because I don't want to set myself up in the same way that I did. I think with the NFL where like I reached that goal, but didn't have a bigger purpose than what this NFL was going to do for me. I just wanted to get to the NFL and everything. A lot of good things have happened for me and that, but I think having a bigger purpose and, and why in life is going to create more things for me for fulfillment. Let me ask another potentially loaded follow-up question. As a career English teacher, one of my favorite books is The Great Gatsby. And if you're not familiar with The Great Gatsby, basically there's this green light on the end of the, the love interest doc that keeps him going every day. And then they end up together. And there's just this kind of deflated letdown that she wasn't all he had built her up to be. And it sounds like What you're saying is, yeah, I got to the NFL. And then it was like, now what? Can you talk about, and this is more for the coaches that are listening, right? It's like this goal of winning and it's like championship and it's this, that, and the other thing. And then there's that, you wake up the next day and it's, oh, okay, now what? So it's like, it's like where you are, what is that like? And how would you advise your younger self now that you've been to the mountaintop where that energy should be focused because you talked about purpose. You talked about why, and it's almost okay. How does the daily process enhance your life more than whatever the the end goal is? Yeah. And it's something I don't know if I have an answer for it because I'm trying to figure it out, but that's something I realized like I, okay. So I got to the NFL. That was it. And it was fulfilling. Don't get me. I loved it. It was super cool. It's everything you think the NFL is going to be. It's sweet. I enjoyed it, but like it's not forever. And now I'm taking that approach in this day, whatever my dream is, money, whatever stance in, in my career, I get that. I don't want to just be such a material thing. What I would tell my younger self is I would try to explain like the situation, like, hey, okay, say you get there, then what? Just ask him that. Just have be be there to ask him that. Like you're going to get to the NFL and then what? And just let him think that because I wasn't thinking that. Mm-hmm. And if I maybe had somebody to even just ask that question, okay, then what? I don't know. I, and I don't know what that, that I'm still, I'm trying to figure that answer out now, but to, to tell my younger self, I would ask him questions like that to think a little bit bigger outside of football. And what's your real reason? Because football is just a game and, and you need to use it as a tool to have a more fulfilling purpose to help other people. And I'm realizing that now is I 
want to use my experiences and, and what I know and trying to craft that to help other people. And that's definitely more fulfilling. I think you naturally get that way with kids because like my main thing, it's not me anymore. It's them. And I'm reflecting on how I grew up and what was said around me and what do I want to do for them to have a, just a bigger vision. than just a materialistic goal or, or just like a, a um, I don't know what it is. Just say a moment is what the NFL was for me. Just having something bigger. Well, I would add that to what you just said a few minutes ago about the idea of money. And it's, if that's your goal, how much is enough? Cause the answer is never. It's, and it, it's really that, that, yeah, that, and that's what I'm trying to not get into now because I, obviously I want to make a certain amount of money to take care of the lifestyle I want and keep going. And, and, but having made a decent amount of money, I've realized like I couldn't wait till I got to this amount, but I was more stressed when I got to that amount. I got to that amount and then I was actually more stressed. And, I, and then I would stop and think, of, I remember when I had half of what I have now and was like pumped. And it's just so it's, it's, yeah, I think. For so take that younger, and give me a sound bite. How would you then take that experience and offer as a lesson to others that are out there? How would you readjust that focus to keep the main thing, the main thing now that you know that. Yeah. Versus the materialistic thing or the, the financial goal and, and like what you need to ask yourself these questions and actually take time and think about it. I don't think a lot of people think about it. They just put, have this vision or this goal that may seem unrealistic, but I've had that unrealistic goal and have experienced it and have, and have achieved a lot of the goals I've wanted in life that I've actually set out. Like, so I have to be realistic. Okay. I'm going to set a goal and just say, I get there. Is, am I going to be happy? Prom, if I take the same approach I took right now, probably not. I'm probably going to be, then again, have to sit back for a second, reevaluate and think about what, what am I going to chase now? And it's got to be bigger than that. And I'm going through that now, just trying to figure out what is my purpose. And it's definitely, I think with, with having my kids and, and my wife, just trying to set themselves up and reflect on what I like the question you asked me, what would I have wanted when I was younger? Again, I think having the coaches I had in my entire career saved me and, and helped me and sports made me the person I am. Like, it's, it's kind of scary to think like what direction I may have gone if I didn't play sports and, and have the influence of the coaches. And I have such more appreciation for those people. And, and, and sometimes you get excited about maybe I can be that one cog for somebody and their will of who they are that I've had in my life. Like they think it was just a year in my career, but it, it's influenced me. And, and, and I've reflected and thought, man, this guy helped me out so much. And there's so many things that I appreciated that I didn't even realize. I just had been so fortunate to have it in my life. I don't know. I think that's just, yeah, me thinking about what stance I want to take as being a coach and helping kids and helping people and, and realizing that there are other people out there that maybe aren't as fortunate as I've been in my career that didn't have a role model or a mentor and the right coaches. And I think that's a really important takeaway and maybe a good place to stop, which is coaches, what you do every day matters. You're having an impact on people that you may not hear about until 20 years later and that people generally understand at some point in their life that it's not about me. It's about helping other people and giving back. And so I looking forward to figuring out and hearing about the ways in which you're going to give back yeah. uh, to the community that raised you and the sport that was deeply influential in your life. And I'm excited to see what you do with that. I'm excited. It's a, it's a cool transition because um, I feel like I've had my head down doing the same thing I was doing at my, like I tried to tell my friends that I get back to, I'm like, we were, I was, I'm, I've been doing the same thing we were doing in high school. My day hasn't really changed. I just had some, a little bit of money with it and grew up and our fun was a little bit different, but I was, my mindset has been the same since I was in high school. I'm excited. It's been exciting as, as tough as it's been. It's exciting to figure out, all right, what do I really want and how can I help it? And be a resource to other people because I feel like I had had a lot of experience and just trying to package that and figure out how can I take this and give it to somebody else and maybe help them because everybody's going through these transitions at some point. Yeah, no, and it's, it's good to hear again. So you got a successful college quarterback, NFL quarterback, student, parent, and still like wondering, okay, what's next? And so I think yeah. whether you realize it or not, that's super powerful for me to hear as an adult super powerful for the people that are listening. Hey, there is no time in your life when you're going to have it all figured out, but it's a daily grind and a daily process to try to just move the needle, as you said earlier, and get a little bit better. Yep. Uh, and I've been around other people who have been successful in business and, and 
they get out of it that money's not a thing and and you're at a point like now what okay money's not a thing you did what you thought you were going to do but now what so yeah just trying to develop a purpose and help people and going through it now and sharing that story as well good good thanks for being on today looking forward to how this evolves and i'm sure we'll connect shortly as you start to develop some of these ideas we've been talking about yep looking forward to it. i appreciate it thanks for having me on this podcast was also brought to you by teachhoops.com. As coaches, our inboxes will get flooded with noise on how to make your program better. Teachhoops.com will get you focused on what needs to get done. One thing you've heard from these podcasts is no matter the experience, you got to keep pushing yourself to be better. Coach Steve Collins will help you direct that noise. He is there to help you. He has the credentials as a coach, and he's never turned down an Teach Hoops member. Sign up plan at teachhoops.com and mention us at checkout. This site is here simply to help you be better. Take advantage and see you on the court. Remember, go to teachhoops.com. Drink Element is a healthy alternative to sugary electrolyte drinks. Each grab-and-go stick pack replaces essential electrolytes with no sugar, no coloring, no artificial ingredients, or any other junk. Element is thrilled to be releasing a new limited time flavor this November, Element Milk Chocolate. I drink Element every day to support my workouts and being on the court and in the classroom. As a member of our community, Element has a special offer for you. Claim your free Element sample pack. You only cover the cost of shipping. Get yours today at drinkelement, that's L-M-N-T, dot com slash contacts.